You're listening to the Philip Robertson Property Podcast. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Philip Robertson Property Podcast. And as always, I do enjoy talking property than the great man himself, Terry Ryder. Welcome, Terry. Hello, Philip. Lovely to, to see you and um, speak to you in these exciting times in which we live. Wow. There is so much going on in this world and we are being impacted by lots of things. But today, our conversation at episode number 4040, I just thought it would be good, Terry, to touch on some of what I would refer to as uh, the hidden gems or lesser lights. You've got certain cities really being hammered by investors out there. But as you and I are always looking for property opportunities for investors perhaps earlier in the cycle or what we call the term the investment clock because I think there's a lot of markets that are getting quite warm and what we want to do is look at some value of some towns that are going to be very affordable, give us a decent rental return and over the journey, particularly with a hold strategy that you're going to be able to make some money as the prices increase over time. So I think, Terry, if I may say, without further ado, why don't we jump straight in and head over to South Australia and have a look at one that you and I have talked about previously, Murray Bridge. Now, Murray Bridge, for those that don't know anything about it, well, it's located in the Murray Lands region of South Australia. It's about 80 kilometres southeast of the Adelaide CBD. And Terry, tell me, what was it about Murray Bridge that captured your attention? Uh, firstly, it was its um, proximity to the Adelaide Hills and its affordability um, because the my logic suggests that as um, some of the uh, locations in the Adelaide Hills are quite expensive, it's got a lovely lifestyle, there's, there's wine areas, etc., cute villages, but some of them may be too expensive for some buyers. And uh, just going a little bit further out from the centre of Adelaide, you come to the town of Murray Bridge, which is in a lovely setting on the Murray River, a uh, nice town, a substantial town, a uh, growing town, uh, but a lot more affordable, median prices in the, in the mid-200,000s. And there's not many worthy places you can buy as investors or as home buyers these days that have prices that low. So it, it starts to become of interest. And then when we take a deeper look, we find that you know it's quite a substantial economy there. There's some quite big businesses which are substantial employers, and there's expansion happening with um, with business and with infrastructure there. So it, it starts to tick quite a few boxes for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with a median price well under three hundred thousand, it certainly does capture the attention, and I think it's absolutely well worth having a bit of a look at. Uh, Population from 2016 census was 15,000 with an estimated population in 2020 of some 23,000. Quite a diverse range of employment though, Terry. Major employers in the region, best in global food company. Now they bought out the uh, Murray Murray Bridge plant previously operated by United Dairy Power. What have you got? Costas, Mushrooms, Monado, Safari Park and Big River Pork, which in fact is one of Australia's largest pork processing facilities employing over 200 staff. You've got a couple of hospitals. You've got the Murray District Hospital at Pinjara and they recently upgraded the Murray Bridge Soldiers Memorial Hospital. 
as a happening place, isn't it? And apparently, the you refer to the safari park. Apparently, it's the largest safari park outside of Africa, anywhere in the world. So, um, as a point of interest, but it's also obviously a substantial business, and therefore, um, we would assume it's, um, it's a place of employment too, as well as a place of economic activity, because it'll attract tourist visitors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think many people would have, would have thought that. Murray Bridge would have the the second largest or the largest uh, safari park outside of Africa in the Southern Hemisphere. That's quite incredible. Medium house prices, though, Terry Murray Bridge at two hundred and sixty thousand. That was based on three hundred and sixty-four sales in the last twelve months. But what I love, it represents a twelve percent annual rise. And I've always said to my investor clients, you know, if you can get 5% 5% compound growth year on year, you're doing very nicely. So that represents a median rent of $270 a week. And, in fact, um, yeah, rental yields are around 5.5%. So already a lot to like about Murray Bridge. Yeah, and uh, we know from other research that we do that the sales activity is rising. We always look for that trend. Um, the increases quarter by quarter in sales volumes because prices tend to follow that trend, but there's a bit of a time lag. So you've got an area like Murray Bridge where sales activity is rising significantly. There's been some price growth, but not not the 20 25% growth we've seen elsewhere. It's a clue that, that there's better things to come, and then when you look also behind the numbers at what's going on in the local economy, you can have even greater confidence that there's going to be some substantial growth. So the timing to get into that market um, could be pretty good. The other factor is, of course, that vacancies are very low. That's a factor in many places around Australia, but um, are super, super low in Murray Bridge. So if you buy a property there as an investor and make it available for rent, you're going to have a choice of possibilities as tenants and a pretty strong rental. Absolutely. And it's interesting to note that the Real Estate Institute of Australia considers a vacancy rate under 2.5% to be quote-unquote, a tight market. Now, according to SQM research, in one of your reports, I will quote, Terry, that the vacancy rate across that that particular postcode, which is 5253 at Murray Bridge, has been under 1% vacancy rate since April 2020 and currently sits at 0.2 of a percent since April last year. So when people say, well, I haven't really heard of Murray Bridge, but would I get a tenant? Well, I think there it goes. It speaks for itself. And as you've often said, Terry, and I'm stealing your thunder here a little bit, I'm on a bit of a roll here, but you've said perfectly before, if you look back to 2013 and what happened in Sydney, when vacancy rates were falling and rents were rising, it was the precursor to their big boom when there'd been a flat market for many years. Yeah, that's what we know over the years, that rents often rise first and prices then follow that trend. It's very unusual to find a market where vacancies are really low and rents are rising strongly. Uh, It would be very unusual if prices didn't follow that trend because what we've observed repeatedly over the years is the trend is that prices do react to the situation with vacancies and uh, rentals. So Murray Bridge is very well set up, isn't it? It's got uh, affordability. It's got a, a strong and growing economy. It's got great proximity to to Adelaide and the Adelaide Hills. Um, It's got infrastructure spending happening, jobs being created, really low vacancies, rents rising. Um, Ticks a lot of boxes for property investors. 
Absolutely. And I think, again, because we haven't had, as you say, some of those huge numbers in terms of growth of your 25 in some areas, including Sunshine Coast and some of the cities that I buy in, up to 35% capital growth in the last 12 months. So a mere 12% growth augurs well for plenty of upside for Murray Bridge. So, yeah, that's uh, city number one. And why don't we stay in SA South Australia for the moment and go to the port Port Lincoln. So, again, located on the Lower Air Peninsula on the shore of Boston Bay and that opens eastward into the Spencer Gulf. It's located about 280 kilometres from Adelaide as the crow flies, but about 650 kilometres by road. A lot, again, Terry, to like about Port Lincoln. Yeah, and um, amongst the things that I like is low vacancies. We, we just talked about Murray Bridge was 0.2% and a lot of people would say, well, vacancies couldn't go any lower than that. Well, Port Lincoln actually has 0.1% according to the latest figures in our report and nearby um, town of Coffin Bay is 0.2%. So uh, vacancies almost non-existent in Port Lincoln. So there's something happening there. Um, and then when you look a little bit, a little bit deeper, you see that the local economy is strong and vibrant and growing and there's um, new projects happening and infrastructure spending in, in planning. And, of course, a place like Port Lincoln, um, as the name suggests, it's on the coast, it's an attractive and important regional centre and it's attracting those lifestyle buyers, people who decide to get out of the city and go somewhere where they can buy at a fraction of the price and um, have a, a more relaxed and... Uh, you know, downbeat lifestyle and Port Lincoln is just one of those places that's getting a lot of buyers uh, for that reason. And again, it's, you know, there's been some price uplift in the last 12 months, but only sort of around 10%. We say only because we're living in times when 10% is only, uh, whereas 20% is more normal. But it, um, it means it's a growth market, but it hasn't really yet fulfilled that uh, potential that uh, exists in a, in a growth property market. Yes, absolutely. One of the things apart from it's well-known for its fisheries uh, and, of course, one of the areas on the the Air Peninsula is Coffin Bay, which we'll talk about, and famously known for the Coffin Bay oysters that many of us like to consume. But the, the region itself is primarily driven by established agriculture, manufacturing, fishing, of course, tourism and mining. So I like the fact, Terry, that there is diversity in the employment, not just one, it's not a one-town wonder. Yeah, that's really, really important factor. And I think uh, we're reluctant to recommend any location that doesn't have economic diversity. If it's just about agriculture or, or it's just about tourism or just about mining, we're going to be very, very reticent to recommend it because those sorts of economies are very vulnerable to downturns in that one sector. And Port Lincoln, as you point out, has diversity um, and it's growing. So it's um, it ticks a very important box for us in terms of a loca- location that we might be comfortable to recommend to people. Yeah, I think another thing that's really growing, Terry, is tourism. I mean, you've got the pristine national parks, you've got scenic coastal landscape, plenty of abundance in wildlife, some great local wine and seafood. Uh, you've got uh, the Port Lincoln Yacht Race, the Salt Festival, the Teakle Auto Sprint, the Mortlock Shield Football Carnival. And uh, for those who are, uh, well, a little braver and they want to get out in the water, well, you can go and uh, get in a cage and uh, have a bit of a, a, a gander up close to the great white sharks. 
Okay, if that's what um, turns you on, then by all means, knock yourself out. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you're right. It, it, it offers a lot. It's, it, tourism is important. Um, fishing is important. The resources sector is important. Um, but, you know, we're starting to talk about multiple strong sectors and therefore Port Lincoln has that priceless quality of economic diversity. Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, we always talk on this show, Terry, and I, and I know in your own reports and I talk about them uh, in all the podcasts w- that we've done and we infrastructure. So it's got a great, you've got a local hospital that underwent a $40 million upgrade back in 2015 and there's a smaller hospitals located in Cummins and Tumby Bay. You've had the airport, the Port Lincoln Airport, so that went underwent a $14 million upgrade in 2013 where they included a new terminal building. So there's, a, again, always I love the fact that there is money being spent and that's a good sign. You've got the airport processing around an average of 190,000 passengers annually. So, I mean, 24 scheduled passenger flights per day and 40% of those are business travellers. So there is, I think, again, lots to like about Port Lincoln, and it's very affordable. Yeah. Infrastructure is really important. We talked about economic diversity is is one of the first things we look for. Infrastructure is one of the next really essential things that we look at, and in two different ways. One is the existing infrastructure, and you've outlined a lot of the highlights that exist in the Port Lincoln area, things that are there as existing amenities and services. But we also look at what's coming up in the future, future uh, spending on infrastructure can be uh, the difference between a, a good location and a great location, and there's plenty coming up um, in the future. And the, you know the things that are currently underway, as well as things that are proposed in the Port Lincoln area. There's a there's a big um, project called Air Peninsula Link, which is a three hundred million dollar project under construction. And that's a like a um, a power line linkage to improve uh, electricity services to that part of the Air Peninsula. Um, there's um, a very, very big uh, iron ore mining project that's um, proposed, a $6 billion project called Central Air Iron Project. If that comes off, it's going to be a big generator of economic activity um, and employment, which is so important to property markets in any area. And then you've just got a series of of small to medium-sized infrastructure developments in the areas of health and education, and uh, just general infrastructure, civic projects around uh, Port Lincoln. So there's plenty happening. All these things mean that local businesses are getting uh, contracts and local people have got employment options and all of that translates into demand for real estate. Oh, absolutely. And and other projects include the Port Lincoln Marina and that's a $290 million housing and fishing industry development at Port Lincoln Marina, and that's actually on the 118 hectare site in Proper Bay. That was the former BHP sand export site that's been developed uh, with plans to include an upgrade of the old wharf and two residential areas with a, over some 500 homes. You've got the $7 million upgrade planned for the Port Lincoln foreshore, so you've got plans that'll include a new amphitheatre, jetty boardwalk, cafe, play space, activity zone, and improved accessibility and upgrade of walkways, lighting, landscaping and parking, uh, $12 million civic centre is planned as well. 
Again, I love what you said before, though, Terry. We go back to the fundamentals. Look at the vacancy rates. Tumby Bay, 1.1%. Port Lincoln, 0.1%. Coffin Bay, 0.2%. Again, always augurs well for price growth. It does, um, because you know, rents cannot do anything but go up when vacancies are that low. Um, that means that you know, there's almost nothing available for rent. When something becomes available, you're going to have you're not going to have applicants. You're going to have queues of applicants, and um, probably you're going to get somebody who offers um, more than the asking rent to beat the competition. That's that's commonly happening around Australia at the moment. So it's it's you know, obviously a good place to be uh, an investment property owner, a landlord, because you're going to have no shortage of um, people wanting to rent your property. You're absolutely right there, Terry. It's it's almost like it's an auction. I know one of the property managers that I work with, Amy, She's uh, she gives people 15 minutes to come in and inspect a house and then she says you've got to put your best offer forward. So she'll give them a range but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the rent that they'll uh, end up achieving. Quite often she gets overs or some staggering results because there's just not enough property to go around. Yeah. I thought it might just uh, be worthwhile, Terry. I'm, maybe am I taking a risk by having a conversation about this city? I think you probably know where I'm referring to. Gladdy. Good old Gladstone. Boy, has that copped it over over a period of time back, I think, around about 2011 when uh, we had the big LNG projects. It was going to be, uh, I think, a once, you know, you and I have talked about this before, Terry, a once-in-the-generation boom, or at least it could have been, but... Unfortunately, it didn't quite turn out that way with mass oversupply of property and I think developers misreading the market by not understanding that that the accommodation that they were building was really not going to be taken up after those projects were completed because uh, they were itinerant workers. Or even during the project because what they didn't understand fundamentally was that... um, the people working on the construction of the project weren't going to be renting or buying local houses. They were actually all accommodated in construction camps, temporary workers' camps. That was that was the big miscalculation that they made. But the, the important thing is that Gladstone's back. You know, it's 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 actually been going for a recovery phase through the over the last couple of years, but it's now transitioned from recovery. I think it's heading more towards boom now, and the, the time is right to put um, Gladstone back on the radar screen. I've been very reluctant because of what happened in the past. Um, it was a place that, um, say, around 2009, 10, 11, we were talking about there was a coming boom, it would be a good place to invest. And for a couple of years, that's actually what happened. Rents and prices did rise very strongly for a couple of years and then developers saturated the market with way too much stock, way too much, and just completely overwhelmed the market and uh, caused huge, huge oversupply, huge vacancies, and prices inevitably fell. And it's taken a long time for Gladstone to recover from that. And as I said, I've been very reluctant to to recommend it as a place to invest while it's been going through that shakeout. But it, it's actually worked through all those problems. Um, vacancies are now down to low levels. Uh, sales activity is rising again. Prices are rising again. Rents are rising again. Uh, because of the previous price decline, um, there's a great value for money on offer in uh, 
in Gladstone now. You've got a lot of suburbs with median prices in the 300,000s and some are still in the 200,000s, despite the fact that there's been, actually been substantial growth in median prices in the last 12 months. So it starts to look like an opportunity, particularly against the background of some major new projects that are in planning there. Well, I think, um, and we'll touch on that in a moment, I love to uh, quote your statistics, Terry, but since mid-2016, vacancies have been falling quite steadily and are now at a very respectable 1.1% according to SQM research. But this is a really interesting statistic. The REIQ's Queensland Market Monitor report showed that as at the September quarter 2021, the annual number of house sales was up a staggering 68% over the year with median prices up 9% over the same period. That's an incredible number, 68%, Terry. Yeah. Yeah, well, as I say, it's really on the way back. Uh, Gladstone is is the comeback kid of Queensland real estate, you could say. And uh, one of the things I really like about what's driving it is that there's some substantial projects now underway on planning, but they're not the mega projects. The the projects that you refer to, the big LNG projects, there were three of them, and they totaled about, $60 $60 billion worth of investment, and they, they were too big. They completely overwhelmed the uh, Gladstone economy and property market. But what's now happening is projects that are uh, substantial but not mega projects. We've got you know, $500 million projects, $1 billion projects that are going to create jobs and economic activity and demand for real estate, but they're not going to overwhelm the market as we saw happen 10 years ago. So I think what's happening now in Gladstone is, is really positive and really healthy and it's now um, the sort of place that we're uh, comfortable again to suggest to people to consider. Yeah, I, I, and I think you, you hit the nail squarely on the head there, Terry. It's not a one-trick pony. It's not all about these massive LNG projects. We've got diversity in these smaller projects that's going to bring employment and keep people in employment on the ground there in Gladi. And some of the some of the uh, prices, I mean, in terms of affordability for us at the Holy Grail, West Gladstone, median price at 280000 up 18%. Sun Valley, 280000 up a staggering 39%. You've got others in the low three, so South Gladstone, 325 up. 21%. And and the yields are all north of 5%, some like Sun Valley at 6.4%. So I think you're absolutely spot on, Terry. Whilst Gladi really did cop a bad rap, and I mean, I know companies like Divine, they had the $1.1 billion Riverstone Rise project there. I used to fly up to Gladi myself and, and I used to see everything that was going on. And when I was, and you and I have spoken about this a number of times, I remember when I was first up in Gladstone, and I used to fly up there and, gee, we used to have about eight properties available on realestate.com.au to rent. And the rents would be something like $650 to $700 a week. So the, the returns were staggering. But unfortunately, when it, went, when it went south, it went into free fall and rents dropped to around $250 a week. So I, I, think, I think you're right. There is a lot to like about what they're doing this time around. Yeah. And it's also um, not only other, other projects um, of a healthy size and scale, and um, but also the identity of some of the people who are doing things in Gladstone now is worthy of note. Um, 
one of the proponents um, or developers of one of the biggest projects that's now um, underway in Gladstone is um, Andrew Forrest, one of Australia's uh, wealthiest men and um, most high-profile as, as somebody who's not only very successful in the resources and energy area but very interested in transitioning Australia to alternative energies and that's what he's doing in Gladstone. He's got a, a globe, what it's called the Global Green Energy Manufacturing Centre and that's a billion-dollar project that's now underway in Gladstone uh, based on a, a hydrogen electrolyzer plant, which is one of those new forms of alternative low-emissions energies that um, everybody except the federal government seems to be interested in, in Australia at the moment. So, um, yeah, that's, so it, 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 yeah. it gives a, a sort of an additional layer of comfort um, that you know the projects have substance and longevity when you know that, that the people doing them have got credibility. Oh, when you when you mention the name Andrew Forrest, Terry, you you immediately stand up and you and you want to have a good listen. Yeah, got a yeah, track record, that man. That's right, he's got a good track record um, of somebody who's, who's um, achieved a high level of success with what he does, but also um, bring brings a you know a decent sense of ethics to what he does as well, as far as I I know. So um, anyway, he's one of the people who um, are involved in. There's quite a list, um, and if you look at our, our report on, on Gladstone, there's, there's several pages of, of major projects, and there's there's um, a couple that are billion-dollar projects. There's um, three or four that are five or $600 million projects individually. Uh, there's a lot happening there, and collectively it means lots of jobs and economic activity again in Gladstone. That translates in demand for real estate because these are not the mega projects where they're going to be having 10,000 people living in temporary construction camps. These are um, projects where people are going to come and live and work in Gladstone and, and rent and buy local houses. So that's that's the big difference between now and 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go, folks. Gladdy is back on the map. She may well be back in town and certainly we think that it presents a good opportunity at the moment. Terry, I'm going to stay in Queensland. And I want to look at a rural town in central Queensland, 120 kilometres southwest of Gladstone and 145 kilometres south of Rocky, Rockhampton, Billowila in central Queensland. Now, I know you wrote a report about that, but you and I have spoken about Billowila, mm. median price of $255,000. It's fed well during the pandemic and it's got consistent growth uh, in terms of its sales activity over the last 18 months and its price growth has been steady. Yeah, that's one of those places that you probably would, would I would not normally expect myself to be discussing Gladstone as a, as a prospect for investment because it would appear at first glance to be perhaps too small or too perhaps one-dimensional in its economy. But when you have a closer look, someone else alerted me to this and had a deeper look and then we did a report and it actually scrubs up quite well. There's, there's there's plenty of things happening in the area in terms of infrastructure. It's got a pretty good location in terms of it's proximate to Gladstone, which is important because it's got one of the major export ports in Australia. And um, it's got a good lifestyle. It's got a high level of affordability. Again, very low vacancies. And um, it starts to become a place of interest. Well, it's got a diverse economy. It's been boosted by the renewable sector with over $3 billion worth 
or projects in the pipeline. Uh, what else have you got that's uh, it's the main admin centre of Banana Shire in the dormitory town for three Calide power stations. So you've got Calide Coal Mine and Tees Meatworks, mm-hmm. and it's the main town of the Calide Valley Agricultural District. Yeah. So it's got the resources sector, obviously. It's got power generation. It's got agriculture, which is the big thing. But there's some substantial infrastructure projects happening. There's the Rookwood Weir project, which is a you know a water supply project to expand irrigated agriculture. That's a $365 million project funded by state and federal governments. Um, I'm still talking about the Nathan Dam billion-dollar project. That's been talked about a long time, may never happen, but um, there are other things happening in the area. Um, there's a wind farm. In fact, there's a wind farm that's $500 million. There's another one that's $300 million, and there's a third one that's $750 million, and then there's two solar farms. Um, which are both half-billion-dollar projects. So that starts to add up to a lot of activity happening in the neighbourhood of a, a relatively small regional centre, and um, it um, starts to become uh, fairly big business for a relatively small town. I love it ticks three of my boxes as the Holy Grail, Terry. Median house price, 255000 tick. One-year growth, 7%, so it's early in the cycle, tick. Median weekly rent three thirty five a week, six point eight percent rental yield. You can't go wrong with those sort of numbers. And vacancy rate zero point five percent. Now, of course, you know it's, it's one thing to identify an area that's nice and cheap, and the rental returns looks pretty good. But if there's there's no sort of strong future in its economy, you'd be reluctant to go and buy there. But as we've just outlined some of the projects that are happening there you can start to believe that this this is an area that's got a strong economic future and therefore the demand for real estate is going to be there um, for the foreseeable future. Well, and as you said, it gets to piggyback off the back of what's happening in Gladstone, also off the back of what's happening in Rockhampton. So, again, I think it's worth certainly throwing in the mix if you're wanting value and a property that's property town that's fairly early in the cycle. I think, again, it's worth considering. And where you're not competing with hordes of other investors as you would be in, a, in so many markets around the country. And I mean, that's that's the beauty of a place like this. You can buy sensibly, you can take your time to your due diligence and get an affordable buy um, that makes sense. Well, that was the real reason why we chose this topic today, because I call them the keyboard warriors. And, and as you know, I've many times I've referred to the locust plague, which is buyers swarming on these major regional centres. So we want to just get a little bit off the grid and look at places that perhaps don't have the spotlight at this point in time. But the fundamentals are still stacking up. And as you said, it's one thing to be affordable and cheap, we'll call it, but it's got to have a strong economy and a diverse economy. And that's what's over time going to drive a town like Biloela. Terry, as always, we'd like to have a little bit of a look at what they're saying in the mainstream media. And again, they're they're up and about about the interest rates. And I remember on our last podcast, you said, Phil, listeners, we'd have to see five or six interest rate rises in quick succession to really see an impact to slow this economy down in terms of uh, property prices. And I would be fair to say I think you would still feel that way. Absolutely, because that's what history tells us. You know, media is talking about the Reserve Bank's going to lift the official interest rates, prices are going to fall. I mean, that's an absurd proposition. 
That's not going to happen. Um, it's never happened in the history of Australian real estate. What, as you've just alluded to, what we know from history is that it takes five, six, seven interest rate rises to slow down price growth, but not necessarily cause prices to fall. Um, so I don't know where the bank economists and others get this notion that you know, one rise in the official interest rate is going to cause prices to fall in Australia. It's, it's, I can put my hand in my heart and bet my house that it's not going to happen that way, um, quite apart from the fact that, um, you know, the, the Reserve Bank is, con- is continually making it clear that they're not in no hurry to lift the official interest rates. They say that it's possible and plausible there may be a rate rise sometime this year, but um, they're going to be very reluctant to do it. They're going to examine all the data with on inflation and wage growth and other factors before they make that decision. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to look back and say, well, we were told to expect, um, you know, a catastrophe when the Reserve Bank eventually did lift the official interest rate and it didn't happen. They got it wrong again, my God. Um, I was doing an interview earlier today with uh, one of the um, a journalist from one of the major media organisations in Australia and referred to um, the bank forecast about what's going to happen with prices and we had a bit of a chuckle because we both know that they've got a terrible, terrible track record in their forecast what's going to happen with prices. Last year, this time, they, they forecast something and something completely different happened. And two years ago, they forecast big price decline in the wake of the pandemic and prices rose. And um, they're now forecasting very moderate growth this year and prices to fall later this year or next year. And um, we were agreeing that they're going to get it wrong again because they so often do. And uh, it's a shame because media gives so much credibility to these forecasts because they appear to be credible because they they have titles like Chief Economist Commonwealth Bank or um, Head Economist Westpac. But if people examine their track records, they realise that they really shouldn't be listened to. What, what you and I often talk about is how amazed we are that why would you go to an economist to ask them about what property prices are going to do? It would be like going to a plumber and saying, mate, can you put a PowerPoint over here in my house? And he's going, but, mate, I'm a plumber. Yeah, you know, I was um, the analogy I always use is if you've, you've got the grand final of the AFL at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, who are you going to bring in for expert commentary, a hockey expert, a netball expert? Are you going to bring in a, a former player, a legend of the game who's a, an AFL expert? But um, the media keeps going to non-experts to get commentary and forecasting on property prices, which is why they get it wrong so often. They should be talking to, to you or me or Simon Presley from Propertyology uh, or other people who have real credentials um, and knowledge um, from about real estate markets and how they work and why they react the way they do from you know spending 24-7 at the coalface of the industry. Uh, absolutely, Terry. One thing this market has taught me, is the power of relationships. And I know you believe in the strength of quality research and and credible research, of which your firm is uh, renowned for. But the longer I've been in this industry, the the more I value, particularly in a market like this, where I can get a phone call, as I did today, from uh, an agent and yesterday, and, and I continually get them because we invest the time to get to know agents and right now, we continually pick up these hidden gems, which are properties that are not listed. 
And I say to my clients, that's probably saved you anywhere from twenty to 30000 buying that property with me off market because we're not competing with the people who are cashed up from Sydney and Melbourne who ride into town on their pony and say so with these big wads of cash, well, you know, that's that's only 380000 Gee whiz, what's another thirty or 50000 That's so cheap from where I come from. And they just keep pushing the prices up and people can't help themselves. They just keep, like we've talked about before, Terry, the herd mentality or the FOMO, they just throw money willy-nilly and with little regard for real value. And I think that's probably one of the things I just love and respect most about what you and I do is we really are about helping people unpack fact from fiction, keep emotion out of it, and represent our clients in such a way that they can make intelligent buying decisions. Yeah, and this is the area in which investors need to be a lot more cautious than they were last year. As you say, a lot of people were just throwing money willy-nilly at not only perhaps paying too much, but buying in locations that didn't have the credentials for long-term growth, didn't have the tick all the boxes, the diversity elements, the infrastructure elements we talked about in the locations we discussed today. This year, investors um, are going to have to be a little bit more selective. The market may be less forgiving this year. Um, last year, you could make some mistakes and the market may have paved them over for you uh, because of the growth that was happening everywhere. But uh, this year, you've got to be more selective and choose your location better. And it's a, a time when you do need um, good people on your team. A good buyer's agent is a very valuable commodity at a time like this. Um, at good research resources also incredibly important. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's pretty easy to make money in a market where everything pretty much is going up. It's as you say, well, hang on, when the, when the inevitable uh, steam runs out of this particular cycle, it'll be those cities that have got strong fundamentals that may come off a bit as in they'll slow down, but they're not going to go, in, they're not going to go into a, a, a dive because they've got strong, diverse economies and there's fundamental reasons for people to want to be in those cities. Yeah. There's a very good book I read recently called The Road Less Stupid. It's a business book by an American dude called Keith J. Cunningham. Very good book to read, very entertaining but also very wise. And uh, he points out that he says any fool can make you know, make money in a boom. He says we, we don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And um, I thought that was a, a very good analogy. That, you know, there will come a time when um, the market is no longer having this outrageous boom and then we'll, we'll find out who's invested wisely and who's been throwing money at the wrong places. Oh, absolutely. And I think it, with the greatest of respect to some of the real estate agents because there are some excellent ones, but anybody can sell a property in this market because you fall over yourself and you get a listing and it's very easy, but it's those that can sustain themselves in a tougher market when you aren't getting listings or when buyers aren't falling over themselves to make you a, a ridiculous offer. But I reckon that's a – I'll have to get that book, that title from you, Terry, because I, I love that. I really do like it. When the tide goes out, who's left standing naked? That's a darn good analogy for life because absolutely, don't follow the herd. Do your homework, pay for research and – Stop trying to take shortcuts because ultimately those shortcuts end up being a shortcut to, to end up being naked standing in the shallows when the tide went out. You're absolutely spot on. 
Yeah, it, it, it's a great quote, isn't it? Um, and, it's, and it is a very good book. Um, and it's, it's um, something I'd recommend to people. You know, during research, um, it comes in all, all sorts of guises. Uh, it's very important to research the locations that you're investing. But if you want to be successful with property investment, it's, it's not a one-off thing that you do. It's a it's a lifetime strategy. And the people who are most successful with that and with business generally are people who read books. You know, there's lots of great books out there that are reading. You always learn something great from them. So I think um, the people I know have been really successful in endeavours are people who who are avid readers of good books. Yep, invest in themselves. Uh, I remember the great Jim Rohn said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. So that includes uh, doing research, and I absolutely think that's spot on. Terry, I think it's a great way for us to finish up with a little bit of education, reminding people to do the research. Terry Riders from hotspotting.com.au. If you want to get individual reports on different towns, it's certainly the place that we go here at the Holy Grail, and Terry works very closely with myself and my team. But uh, Terry's information is absolutely spot on, and what I love about it, it's independent, very important. Very important. Terry, always love catching up with you and chatting about all good things property, and I hope we've uncovered some hidden gems for people today that are earlier in the investment cycle. Yeah, I think we have, actually. We've talked about some really worthy markets that um, a lot of people might not know about or would normally not consider. Exactly. Good to catch up, Terry. Keep your feet dry up there in Mullaney and hopefully not too much rain at the moment. Uh, And then have an awesome week. And I look forward to catching up with you very, very, very soon. Friends, please enjoy the podcast, share it, like it, leave a comment, get in touch with us. We'd love to help. All the best to everyone. See you, Terry. Bye for now. Bye.